Welcome to the Link Adelaide podcast. My name is Steve Moylan, and today I've got another artist from the 2015 Adelaide Fringe. And I'm joined on the line by CJ Johnson, who is bringing Kinski and I to the Holden Street Theatre Studio uh, from February 11 to 22 at the 2015 Adelaide Fringe Festival. Um, uh, yeah, good good morning, CJ. Good morning, Stephen. All right, thank you. Um, so you've got a bit of a, a PG-rated show coming to the Fringe. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually, it is very much an R-rated show. Klaus Kinski um, was... Germany's greatest film actor, really, uh, widely considered to be so. In many respects, he was Germany's sort of Brando and Montgomery Clift and Robert De Niro all rolled into one. But when he published his autobiography, uh, the first version, which he translated in 1988, and then uh, there was a second version with some cuts made due to some lawsuits in 1996, it was just full of salacious material describing his many, many thousands of sexual conquests. So he he got this book contract to write an actor's autobiography and sat down and instead of writing about all these directors that he'd worked with and all these film sets that he'd been on, he just wrote about all these women that he'd slept with during the course of his career. And um, so it's a portrait of a very, 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 very famous and successful, huge international movie star working mainly throughout the 70s and 80s and his sex addiction, because that's what he had. He had a true, honest, full-blown sex addiction. And because he was beautiful and famous and wealthy, he also had the means to satiate that sex addiction, and he did so with absolute gusto. So that's what the show's about. <laughs> so that's, it's not very PG. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Like amazing because I would have thought around that time there wasn't too much in the way of sex scandals in the media and that kind of thing back in that period that he was alive. Well, no, it wasn't so much sex scandals. I mean, the the seventies and eighties had a very very different flavour to now. And what we're experiencing now is, for example, you know, the women who Rolf Harris abused are coming out now, or they came out literally last year in 2014. Likewise, the women that Bill Cosby allegedly abused. Likewise, uh, the women that Robert Hughes, the star of Hey Dad, abused. Likewise, um, the the people that Jimmy Savile, the British entertainer, abused. All of these people came out and spoke in 2014, even though the offences took place in the 70s and 80s. Obviously, in the 70s and 80s, women just were not treated with the same respect they are now. They didn't have the same voice. And they were afraid that if they came out and said these things about these popular, powerful, wealthy men, they would be shouted down. And now they finally got the voice and are able to do it. So basically, these older guys who essentially committed crimes, sexual Mm. crimes, back in the day, got away with it. But time and history and social progression has caught up with them. And that's essentially what happened to Klaus Kinski. So while he was doing all his stuff in the day, and some of it was not legal, it didn't affect him then because then he was the king and was able to get away with it. And was it something that in the autobiography he writes, does he have remorse about it or is it just purely talking about exploits and... 
No, 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 no. He totally has. Remorse is a funny word. I'm not sure that he has remorse, but the addiction wears him down like any addiction will wear anyone down. Mm. Drinking is really fun, but for the alcoholic, it's a burden. Gambling can be fun, but for the, you know, for the chronic gambler, it's a total burden. And likewise, his sex addiction literally wears him down. And he, um, I mean, at one point he says uh, that uh, these orgasms he's having with this particular woman that he, he feels compelled to have sex with about four times a day, he says his orgasms are like a pain in my brain. So it's just this this grind and the, the, the pleasure disappears for him and mm. it's... It's, it's, it's this pain, he, and, he, and he enters a living hell because he'd rather have sex than sleep, you know, because of his addiction. Not literally, but, but that's what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, do you know whether, does the autobiography, I just was doing some research on Klaus before, before the interview, and it mentioned that he was captured uh, by the British junior during the latter parts of World War II. Um, do, does he mention that in his autobiography at all, or is it purely about... The sex addiction. No, he does go into uh, his wartime experiences in the early stages of the autobiography. I don't really touch on that because you know mm. I needed to craft a, a, a clear eighty-minute show, and basically, what, I mean, the, you know, so what the autobiography. Pardon me. What my show covers is only about a fifth of his book. And so I really had to find the correct through line. And so for me, the through line is his sex addiction, but which also covers all of his major relationships because he had multiple wives and the birth of his three children and his relationship to his three children, Nastasia, Pula and Nanhoy. And um, that to me was the bones of it. So I, I wanted to get at the, the crazy thing that made him tick and also... You know the, the the true aspect of any person's life, which is their you know their loved ones and their children, and that way I could sort of cover a, a big emotional arc. And the other thing I wanted to make sure that I could get as much of as possible. So pretty much everything that he mentions about Werner Herzog and his working relationship with the uh, German director Werner Herzog, I've put in the show because I think that's fascinating stuff. So uh, he worked with Werner Herzog on Aguirre, The Wrath of God, uh, Nosferatu, The Vampire, Wojciech, and Fitzcarraldo. Those are the four big movies they made together. So I, I cover all of that stuff as well because that stuff is really entertaining and funny. And it's really the only time Kinski goes into really talking about what it is like to be on film sets and to work with you know, a really interesting director. That's the funny thing about his autobiography is, you know, most actors' autobiographies, it's like, you know, they, I, I went to Germany, uh, sorry, I went to England, I worked with Ken Russell. This is what it's like to work with Ken Russell. Kinski will be like, I went to England, I screwed all these English girls. I about, you know, <laughs> he, just, he just leaves the films and the directors in the dust and talks about the girls. That's crazy, and because he, he was one of the, he's, he's widely known as a really, really awesome actor as well. And I think a lot of people would want to read that autobiography to try and get some secrets from him. Yeah, and he does. I, I include a lot of that stuff. He does go into talking about the art of acting. And, um, I mean, from my mind, he's the greatest screen actor who ever lived. And that's sort of what got me into Kinski in the first place is just, I mean, from, from when I was a kid and when I very 
first saw my very first Kinski movie, which the first one I saw was Aguirre, The Wrath of God. And um, I, I just thought I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anyone being so real on screen as Kinski. And then I you know, got more and more into his work, more and more into his work with Werner Herzog. Mm. Then I discovered the autobiographies and got more and more into the fact that he was an absolute crazy loon bucket and <laughs> just bonkers. Obviously, besides the sexual addiction, many other mental issues. He had absolute anger management issues times 1,000. He was one of the angriest guys to have ever lived. Plus, he absolutely had egomania in the true psychotic sense of the world, believing that he was, you know, <laughs> just like somehow above the rest of the human race. I mean, he was really, really, really a crazy piece of work. And uh, I got into all of that stuff. And then you you get back to the fact that all of that stuff feeds the thing that drew me to him in the first place, which is that he's such a spectacular screen actor. Because when you see him going mad, and in all the four films he made with uh, Werner Herzog, Aguirre, Nosferatu, Wojciech, and Fitzgerald, he's, he's playing characters that go mad in each of those films. You're kind of really seeing a guy go mad in front of you on screen. Wow. And how do you, how do you go from getting such a rich gentleman and a rich sort of vein of material that he's written... And how are you translating that into a theatre show for The Fringe? It's very, very multimedia. Like, I am, I'm sort of reading the text, acting the text, commenting on the text. I am simultaneously playing Klaus Kinski and also myself as, as uh, a reader of his work and as a, and a, and as a viewer of his work. So I'm, I'm. So that's why it's Kinski and I. I am mm. playing Kinski and myself. But behind me, there is just this huge videoscape uh, that is all taken from Klaus Kinski films. Uh, most of them directed by Werner Herzog, and we've also created this huge soundscape, which is mainly sourced from music from the films of Klaus Kinski and the films of Werner Herzog that he made with Klaus Kinski. So you're not really, I mean, you can look at me, but really what you're looking at while you're hearing the words is this videoscape and soundscape that we've created. And we use the, the footage and the sounds in an, in an evocative way. So uh, just as one example, there is a section about two-thirds of the way through the piece where he really is just giving this litany of all these women that he is having sex with. He goes on, I guess, the sexual addict's uh, version of a bender. So, like, if someone was drinking for a week or using drugs for a week, he, like, goes on this bender where he just starts having sex with just as many women as possible, you know, literally within hours of each other. And they're all mm. random women that he picks up because he's famous at this point and he can. You know, it's like George Clooney if he wanted to or Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, you just can when you're that famous. Yeah. And um, so he's on this bender. And so what we show behind this section is footage of him as Nosferatu the vampire sucking on the blood out of a woman's neck, which is an incredibly beautiful image, but is actually the same thing. A vampire is addicted to blood. Mm. He needs to suck the blood to survive, and Kinski needs to have sex to survive.
survive in his mind. So if you see what that's sort of a good emblem of what we're doing with the footage. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so, so we touched on it at the beginning, and I don't want to sort of get bogged down in it too much. But with all the with the the sex, and you drew, drew you drew parallels between Rolf Harris and all the litany of people that have been accused of, I guess, rape down the track. Do you know? Do you sort of know how much of Kinski's sex addiction was um, satiated through consensual versus non-consensual? Consensual. He never, he never admits to rape in his book, um, and you know, if he if he did rape anyone, he it's extremely likely that he could have been accused or caught, and that never happened to him. He was accused of other things that um, uh, that are in the play, which I won't mention now because they're they're quite interesting and they're quite surprising. Um, I think. Some of his sexual life was with uh, whores, was with prostitutes, yeah. uh, was paid, and he never necessarily tells you when that's what's going on. So, um, but you get a sense that at least some of it was was paid. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a really hard thing to wrap yourself. I mean, we know that in the the sort of homosexual sexual lifestyle, particularly back in sort of the 80s, pre-80s, etc., there was this this amazing pickup culture where two guys wouldn't even need to say anything to each other. They could just pass each other on the street and, and go to someone's room. Mm. And we don't really necessarily think of that happening so much in a male-female dynamic, but you've got to think of the 60s and the 70s, and you've got to think of being a huge international movie star and having the charisma that makes you a huge international movie star. Mm. So I think he did just do an awful lot of just, I guess, street pickups as well. And he wasn't very discerning, you know, like the alcoholic who will drink the cheap whiskey if he can't get the expensive whiskey. Kinski screwed everything. (laughs) (laughs) And he talks about the range of women he talks about. You know, they don't need to be attractive. They just need to be available. Do you think he had respect? Respect for women? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He, um, I mean, when he fell in love, and he basically had three major loves of his life, he really, 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 really deeply fell in love, and he was very possessive and very... I know these are not sort of kind words, but mm. he... he, he, he he exhibited the behaviour of people who are in love and who do respect them and they're with. But the, the moment that respect faltered, the, the, the line where that respect stopped was monogamy. He was never, ever, ever for one day, for one second, monogamous to anyone. And he essentially justified that as compulsion. He knew that he was compelled to have sex. He... He knew that he had this thing going on, and he knew he was different to other people. He was, he was an aware addict. Amazing. And uh, I guess the book itself was um, banned when it was first released. What's the sort of status of it now? Obviously, you, you can get it. The book that the book that I take my material from 
you can't get anymore. There's only a few hundred copies left in the world. It was oh, wow. published, yeah, it was published in 1988 and immediately was uh, banned, withdrawn and pulped because there were two lawsuits launched, launched against it. One by um, one of his daughters, Nastasia Kinski, who became a big movie star in her own right, mm. and one by the movie star Marlena Dietrich because in his pages he called Marlena Dietrich a lesbian, and even though it's pretty widely acknowledged that she was at least bisexual, she didn't like this being in print. So mm. that's that's how the book got withdrawn and pulped so quickly, I mean, like super quickly, within a matter of days. Yeah. And um, so it's a rare book. It's never been republished. I, I My copy is an original published in 1988 that I found in a rare bookseller um, in the United States. And so, no, you can't get it. There was a second version published that took out any of the material that was banned from being published by the lawsuits in 1996. But that wasn't his own translation. That was translated by another guy. Mm. And um, it's it's still (laughs) very entertaining. It's still a wonderful (laughs) read. But it's slightly different. And to actually read Kinsky's own translation, his language is unbelievable. It is so evocative and crazy and out there and really, really, really funny. Like, it's really funny. And um, to me, his writing is closest of all to Hunter S. Thompson. The way that Hunter S. Thompson sort of talked about drugs and drinking is how Klaus Kinsky talks about sex. Mm. That's phenomenal. Did he write anything else? Um, he wrote the screenplay to the only movie he directed called Paginini about the uh, violinist. That's mm. a terrible movie. He was he was <laughs> he did well to stay on on the acting side of the camera. It's just unbelievable. And he played Paginini in that, and so he was he wrote it bad screenplay too. He directed it and he acted in it and he tried to get his daughter Nastasia Kinski who was world renowned as one of the great beauties in the world when she was um, at her prime. She was in Tess, the movie by Roman Polanski and she was in Cat People and she was gorgeous and he tried to get her to play his love interest in that film. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just so wrong on every level. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so he wrote that. So, uh, but that's that's different because he was so influenced. I mean, by the uh, art house auteur directors that he worked mm. with, you know, including Werner Herzog, who I think is one of the five best directors in the world. And so, when he made Paginini, he made like the art house movie to beat all art house movies. It is just <laughs> so artsy fancy that it's. It's, it's unwatchable. It's like this terrible voiceover, and the whole thing is like montage after montage after montage. But um, what he should have really written is like bodice rippers. You know, he, mm. he could have churned out erotic sort of thrillers <laughs> till the end of his days. But he never had time. He was always working. He his credits on IMDb. So his official credits are 133 movies, which is an astonishing number of films to have worked on. Um, He claims uh, that he made about 250 movies. So it's like the American Sniper, you know, 160 confirmed kills, but he reckons that he'd actually killed 255. (laughs) That's crazy. Wow. 
Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, every 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 element of him and his life is completely bonkers fascinating. You know, he grew up in Berlin. The mm. the war started. He was stealing for his family. They lived in a bomb tower house. Um, then there were life-changing, life-affecting sexual shenanigans with his mother that kicks things off. (laughs) (laughs) And then through his early theatre days, working with Bertolt Brecht, um, being a theatre actor in Berlin, getting all these women pregnant, and then his entering into his film life and becoming like this mega, mega movie star who was making $40,000 a day mm. and uh, just having all these houses and Rolls Royces and international travel and yet screwing all these whores and all these women who he'd meet on the street everywhere at every opportunity. I mean, there's another little story in the book where he says... Um, he has um, Nastasia, his daughter Nastasia Kinski is born, and mm. so she's in the room with her mother, and he's, he's wealthy and a movie star at this point, so they go and they order her all these little dresses. And so the delivery girl arrives from the store with this box full of all these little dresses, so he quickly screws the delivery girl, then takes all the dresses into the other room, and they try on the dresses on little Natasha all afternoon. (laughs) This is everything. This is daily life for him. Wow. Oh, you're going to have a jam-packed show. Jesus. My goodness. Uh, (laughs) Uh, CJ Johnson, thank you so much for giving me your time this morning, and I hope uh, Kinski and I goes absolutely tremendously here in Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe. Um, you're playing Holden Street Theatre Studio from Feb 11 to 22. Details at adelaidefringe.com.au and linkadelaide.com.au. Um, you're so lucky to have that book. I know, I know. Well, I, I, I went out and found it. I, I, I knew I wanted to, to do this show. You can find out more about the show. We've got a little website up. It's just simply kinskiandi.com. Beautiful, and I'll put a link to that up on our website as well. Um, Thanks again for your time, and uh, have a great fringe. Stephen, my great pleasure. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking to you. For more, visit linkadelaide.com.au. Check us out at facebook.com forward slash linkadelaide, or tweet us at linkadelaide.